So life is full of defining moments. A defining moment is something that happens in your life, and it's, it's like a landmark on a map. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But with every defining moment, your life will never be the same again. I remember when I was about nine years old and I had one of my first of many defining moments. It was the first time I put a pair of Jordans on my feet. <laughs> I remember that day like it was yesterday. I took the sneakers out the box, took a deep inhale of that sneaker, put them on my feet, and to the outside observer, you would have thought it was just a nine-year-old putting on sneakers, but you would have been very wrong. It was someone who was born again into a whole new way of understanding. <laughs> That day I put those sneakers on, I ran up and down my hallway. You could not have convinced me that I was not Michael Jeffrey Jordan in the flesh. Other times in life I've had defining moments. Uh, I remember when I was in college, and uh, I went to college, and I was convinced that I would never go to church ever again. And there were all these Christian organizations that would invite people to church, and I said no very quickly every time. But one day I said yes. And a couple of weeks after that, yes, I found myself in a Bible study on the library on campus, and I just knew that my life would never be the same. That was over 20 years ago, and God changed my life that day in the library just because of a yes that I said. But I've had a few defining moments in my life that were really bad. Uh, my senior year in college, uh, one of my best friends and my roommate was murdered, and that day, which I remember like it was yesterday, I got an upfront view of the fragility of life. And I've never looked at life the same. But not every defining moment that has really marked me was bad. I've, I've had some beautiful defining moments. One of those that is probably the most strong that I can think about right now are the birth of my children. And I'll never forget what it felt like to be in the delivery room and to look at them for the first time and to understand Truly, what love at first sight really was. I remember looking at my, my son and thinking to myself, Scripture says that God is a father. And if God loves me like I love this little kid, I should never worry about anything for the rest of my life. So life is full of defining moments. There was a journalist, uh, the great Larry King, who was once asked, out of all the people dead or alive, who would you love to interview? And he said, well, out of everybody, dead or alive, who could I interview? I would interview Jesus. And the question I would ask him is this, were you truly born of a virgin, like the scripture says? Because if that is true, that is the defining moment of all of history. Now, to a certain extent, it's not even hyper, um, it's not exaggeration to say that the incarnation or Christmas really is the defining moment of history because it's something that even our society recognizes as so profound that the clock restarted when Jesus was born. Like, that's not an exaggeration to say that this event, that we're spending time to look at this Christmas, that Scripture says that God came to earth in the person of Jesus. Now, here's the thing, y'all. If this happened, it is a defining moment, and it should change everything about the way that we think about God and the way that we live. So in theology, they call this the incarnation. It's a big word, and it basically means that God broke into our world in the person of Jesus. So when you read scriptures about Jesus, yes, he's a good teacher, and yes, he's a healer, and yes, he, did, he performed miracles, but bigger than all of those things is this. 
Scripture says, and it makes the bold claim that in Jesus, God broke through our world and came down in the person of Jesus. And what you get is not uh, an imitation version or a, a, a replica. It is God himself who has come down in the person of Jesus. That is the incarnation. The ideal became real. The impossible became possible. The supernatural became natural. The metaphysical became physical. Even more than that, the all-powerful became powerless in the baby. The invulnerable became vulnerable. The unapproachable became huggable. That is the incarnation. There's truly nothing like that. No one has ever made a claim like that. So I want to look at a few scriptures today and unpack what it is and what does it mean for us. Matthew 2, it says these words. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men, arrived, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And listen to this one detail because it's very important. For we saw his star. If you've got a Bible, underline that. We saw his star, not just a star, but his star, uh, at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why was King Herod so disturbed? And why were so many people paying attention to a star that they see in the sky? To us in 2023, you think about a star, you think about um, some astronomical event, it doesn't really sound that deep. But to this original crowd, they would have heard this story as something so much more profound, that what scripture was claiming was something something that was unparalleled in, in history. So if you were to look at a coin in ancient, um, when Jesus was born, what you would see is on the front of the coin, you would have seen Caesar. He was ahead of Rome. But on the back of the coin, you would have seen a comet. Now, why would you see a comet? Because there was this myth that was going around that when Caesar died, he ascended to heaven in the form of a comet. And Everybody, when they would see the comet, they said, wow, this is our Caesar became a god. He was a man and became God. And we saw that and we noticed that because of this comet. Now, scripture was reversing this now. When the wise men and the wise, when the wise men saw the star in the sky, they were not saying a man had become God and left the earth. They were saying God is now coming to us. This is why King Herod was so angry, because now someone is coming to threaten his rule. And so if this is true for us, this has profound implications. I want to read some more of the incarnation account. Matthew 1.18 says, The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, 
and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Now, listen, I know a lot of you, and you're, maybe you're not a church person, and you come here, and you, your friend invited you to church, and they promised you good music and an inspiring message, and you're like, all right, this is a part of the service where people start talking about something that is just no credibility. How could God, how can anybody become born as a virgin? Like, that just doesn't make sense. Now, one thing that I will say is this. Yes, this is incredible, but one of my uh, friends once quoted this one a theologian in saying, like, people who just believe in the material world that there's no God, they have to believe that one day there was the virgin birth of the cosmos, that one day for no reason, something that's never happened before happened. The world was just created out of thin air for no really reason. And so we all have to choose between which virgin birth we will believe in. Either we will believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos, of the entire world, or the virgin birth of Jesus. We have to choose our miracle. And so what does it mean? If you can suspend, for those of you who have disbelief, if you can suspend your disbelief for a little bit, and for those of you who do believe in what Scripture is claiming, more importantly, what does it mean for you? It means a couple of things. First and foremost, it means that God initiates. This story, the incarnation, the account of the incarnation is that God came to his people who could never make it their way to him. And one of the most important things that you need to understand is this. The real God comes to you. The real God does not wait for you to come and to make your way to him. Uh, When I first became a Christian, Uh, On my Morgan State University campus, I was one of the most obnoxious people on the planet. Here's why I was obnoxious. I believed that the only way I could have a right relationship with God is if I did everything on my to-do list that made me a good Christian. And if I did those 19 things on my to-do list, God loved me. God would come close to me. Not just did I believe that for me, but I believed that for you. So not only did I hold myself to my list, I held you to my list. And if you weren't doing a good job according to my list, I would look down on you. Years after I became a Christian, I realized that the, what the gospel was saying. It was saying, Jordan, you didn't, all of these things that have happened, it's not because you came to God, it's because God came to you. You didn't take a step towards God. God took 17,948 steps towards you. And he continues to take steps towards you because God is the one who initiates. The incarnation is a story about a God who has come to give us his best in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, As Paul says, while we were still sinners, while none of us deserved it, God came to us in Christ. Here's why this is so important. Some of you are dealing with things in your life, serious stuff, and you can't imagine that God would want to be anywhere near you. You can't imagine that God would want to come close to you. And the good news of the incarnation is that God comes to people who could never make it their way to him. God initiates. God is the one who always makes the first step and the 90th step towards you, and all you need to do is raise up your hand and receive. God initiates, and we receive. This is not just really necessary for us to have a relationship with God, but it's also really necessary for us to have a good relationship with people. If you are around someone long enough, a significant other, a close friend, family member, 
they will disappoint you. 100% of the chance. They will disappoint you because they're a person, they're human, they make mistakes. And one of the things I've seen really truly cripple relationships is an inability for people to forgive. And why is it that we struggle so much to forgive? One, because when people hurt us, it, it hurts. That's one reason. But I think even beyond that, one of the biggest challenges we have is not just that we've been hurt, but that we believe that a person is only valid and a person is only worthy of love if they've done the right thing. It's a concept called grace. One of my friends has, has really struggled with his faith, and he probably would no longer call himself a Christian. And we were on the phone a couple of months ago, and he said, you know what, Jordan? The one thing I miss, I, I miss grace. When I left the church, I didn't know that I was also going to be leaving grace. Here's why you need to know that God initiates, because some of you have people in your life who have done you wrong, and I don't want you to put them through an obstacle course to earn forgiveness. What, is, what Scripture tells us is a much better way is that you and I will be people who would taste the forgiveness that God has given us, and we would give it to people. See, real forgiveness is always secondary. It's derivative to the forgiveness that we have received. It's the closeness that we have received from God, and we can pour it out on other people. Another reason we need to really understand that God is the one who initiates, not because of our goodness, not because we did a great job, is because a lot of you are struggling with a lot of unfulfilled desires. And you might believe that since you don't have the things that you truly want, that God has it out for you, that God is trying to punish you. And that's not the way God gets down. Our God is the one who initiates. He takes the first step towards us. He begins the good things in us. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, while we were dead in sins, Christ made us alive. This is grace. And you and I need a real taste with grace so that we don't believe that we're not good enough to get good stuff from God. That's not the way this works. God gives us good stuff because he is God. He gave us his best in Jesus Christ. So number one, God initiates. Number two, God understands. God understands. One of my favorite scriptures is in Hebrews 4 and 15. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. What Scripture says is so profound, and I, I, don't, I hope we don't miss this. It is saying that our God understands the fullness of the human experience. One of my uh, favorite books from a couple of years ago was a book called When Breath Becomes Air uh, by Dr. Paul Kalanithi. Uh, Dr. Paul Kalanithi was a brain surgeon, and the book chronicled, first and foremost, how difficult and strict the training was to become a brain surgeon. And they don't just let anybody crack somebody's skull open, right? You can't watch YouTube videos and do brain surgery. But the book wasn't just about the rigor of the medical residency. The book was about this doctor who had been practicing for a couple of years, going to this hospital every day, seeing patients, and then one day, he became the patient. He had a cancer, and one day he found himself not as the surgeon walking in and out of hospital rooms, but he was the patient on the other side of the curtain. Now, when patients would say and complain that they didn't have a good night's sleep, he understood, because he was woken up seven times to ask him how well he was sleeping. The scandalousness of the incarnation is this. 
Christianity is saying what no other religion would dare to say, that our God knows what it feels like to be on the other side of the curtain. That when Jesus went to the cross, it's not that God's representative went to the cross, but it is God himself who felt the fullness of human sin and misery. Not just that. When Jesus was on the cross, he says something that is so profound. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which means that God understands what it means to feel forsaken by God. God understands what it feels like to be alone. God understands what it feels like to be abandoned, mistreated, rejected. God understands. And because he understands, that should radically change your prayer life. You know, I mentioned last week, uh, last couple of weeks have been difficult for my family. Uh, praise God, things are looking a whole lot better now. But I had a couple of conversations with some people uh, in the past couple of weeks, and one of my family members just blessed me with her words. And the reason her words were so profound was because she lived through what I was going through, to a certain even more, even more. And when someone who has been through something, been through even more than what you've been through, offers you words, they're not hollow. The advice is not something that is insignificant. It is deep because you know that they understand. You know, I have a theory that I've been working on. I'm still working on it. I think the American church puts way too much emphasis on heaven and hell. We tell people, if you believe in Jesus, one day you'll go to heaven. If you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. And we're too reductionistic. I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. That's not the point of this right now. But there are some people who have been through hell. They've been through hell when they buried the only person that loved them. They've been through hell when they've been abused. So hell to them sounds like last Tuesday. A better thing is that not only does Jesus save us from hell, he saves us. He understands the hell we're in right now. He's lived through it. And I think so many people abandon the church because we're, we're preaching a truncated gospel that's all about the here and the, 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 the afterlife and nothing about the here and now. A God who sees you and who fully understands the fullness of all your, com your complexities of your life, and he offers you his nail-pierced hands to follow and says, I know you don't know where you're going, but I do. Come and follow me. So God initiates and God understands. Lastly, God is close. God is close. In seminary, um, one of my professors once, taught, once said, close your eyes, everybody. He says, take in some breaths. God is closer than the air that you just breathed. That's a profound way of thinking about what the incarnation tells us. Matthew 1 says this, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. But I do want to warn us a little bit, because I think when people think about God coming close to us, we think about the warm and fuzzies of what it feels like to be in relationship with God. When they come in and they sing a song and they hit the falsetto, you're like, God is here. <laughs> and certainly God is present in worship and even in emotional things. But what we see from the earliest text is this. Sometimes when God comes close to your life, the real Jesus he makes things more complicated, not less complicated. So we see in the life of Joseph, Joseph's life, when Jesus came close to his life, he upended everything. Joseph's life was going great. He was about to get married. He was chilling. He had his little business. And then Jesus came close and put his life into chaos, into scandal. Sometimes following Jesus looks like 
He solves the issues for which you came to him. Other times, Jesus creates new issues in your life that you didn't have before you came to him. And this is how you know that you are in relationship with the real Jesus, that he's making your life sometimes more chaotic. Forgiving people now, now my life is more difficult because I'm following Jesus. Seeing the humanity in every single person created in his image, that's more difficult. It's easier just to write people off. When I was about 12 years old, um, my brother and I went to the doctor, and my mother uh, got the news that, you know, the doctor said their cholesterol is a little bit high for their age. And as soon as my mother heard that, she took it and ran with it and immediately changed all the food in our house. The most notable substitution was instead of bacon on Saturday mornings, we were getting turkey bacon. Now, I used to practice law, and I would, for free, lead a charge against the turkey bacon industry because it should not <laughs> be called turkey bacon. It should be, t I don't know what it should be called, but definitely not bacon. Now, some of you didn't uh, have the substitutions, the imitation in your life um, for health reasons. Some of you had it because your parents were more financially conscious. So instead of Cheerios, you got Tastios. Instead of Pop-Tarts, you got Toast'em Pop-Ups. <laughs> now, here is the lie of the imitation. The lie of the imitation is this. You can have all of the benefits that you love and none of the drawbacks. You can have all of the benefits of bacon and just none of the, the drawbacks. But we know when we bite into the cardboard thing that is called turkey bacon, <laughs> that it, we're not getting the real thing. Hey, you know what, this, this incarnation, this, this Christmas season, I don't want you buying into the imitation version of Jesus that promises you all the life that you would want with none of the commitment towards him. I actually hope that it draws us closer towards him, makes us more curious about what it looks like for us to follow him every single day. Now, at Renaissance in the new year, there's two ways that we're hoping to do this uh, for people from every level of their spiritual journey, no matter where you are. The first is we're having a course in January called our Foundations course. It starts January 16th, and for four weeks, we'll be in the cafeteria talking about what are the foundations of the Christian faith. And if you're a person who says, you know what, I want to build a strong foundation, man, I just, I can't recommend this course enough. We're looking for both participants and also table leaders. The information will be in the emails that we go out, and uh, Jessica will come up later to tell about uh, how you can sign up to get these information for all of these things. The second thing is our How to Read the Bible class. It's this, this is happening on Saturday, January 6th. It's a one-day thing for two or three hours where you come, and for some of you, you're like, I just don't know even where to engage in the story of Scripture. I want to read it better this year. Um, but I don't know where to start. This class is for you. We would really strongly impress upon you that. And for the rest of us, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to pray every single day that God would make himself real to you in the person of Christ, that you would be able to see Jesus, the real Jesus, in all of your comings and all of your goings this Christmas season. I'm going to pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, would you open the eyes of our heart that we might behold and see the beauty of Christ, that we might more meaningfully understand the meaning of Christmas, that we would trust that you initiate and all we need to do is respond in faith, that we would trust that you understand 
and we would pray bold prayers, seeking grace, that we would know that you are close and we would trust you right where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.